Welcome to the New England Football Journal podcast. I'm John Serenitas, and as always, I'm joined by my partner, Kevin Stone. Kevin, how are you tonight? John, doing good, man. We finally have, you know, real football to talk about again for the second week, and uh, we actually have some game stuff to talk about with BC. So we're finally getting into the rhythm of things. How you doing? Yeah, you're not kidding. And, and of course, there was a major announcement today that came out of UMass. We're going to be talking about that in a little bit, but we're going to start off like we do every week with our opening drive. I'm going to let you go first. What's your opening drive for this week? Uh, Tom Brady. I know uh, we usually kind of save a segment for it, but uh, after that game last night, there's just too much to talk about. So uh, Tom Brady getting his first win in Tampa. Once again, it was not pretty by any means, uh, but it did look a little bit better. It's amazing to me. His receivers look absolutely terrified of him, Uh, and not just for a yelling thing, but the mistakes they're making. The drops in the end zone, I mean, it's it's incredible. It looks like the entire offense is just uptight and and terrified to make a mistake around him. But uh, it seems like it's going to get better, and uh, it's not going to implode as quickly as you know we thought it might. Well, you bring up a good point. I saw a stat today that when you add up the amount of yards um, in regards to their drops, they dropped 125 yards worth of passes yesterday. And that's not going to sit well with Mr. Brady and Bruce Arians, who – uh, a week ago was openly bashing Brady, actually came out and defended him today and said, hey, look, you know, we got to catch these balls. We can't we can't drop 125 yards worth of passes. Had we caught those, he would have thrown for 400 yards. Now, I think part of that on Arians' part is to placate Brady and to, and to yeah. soothe over uh, the situation with last week, but he does make a valid point. I also think you make a valid point. I think that these guys, yeah, while they're trying to get on the same page with him, I think there is a little bit of an intimidation factor there, even for a guy like Mike Evans, who's an established veteran, yeah. uh, even for guys like O.J. Howard, Cameron Brayton, LaShawn McCoy, that there is a certain aura about Tom Brady and playing with Tom Brady, but I also think there's a certain level of intimidation there. And I think through two weeks with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, we're seeing that, that they're not necessarily clicking the way they should be, not just because they haven't had an offseason and it's on you to Brady in this receiving core, but also because they're kind of afraid to make a mistake. I mean, I've said this all along, and I mentioned it last night in the other post-game show, our our live stream that we're going to be doing after Patriots games. Cam Newton is good for Nikhil Harry. If Tom Brady were still here, I'm not sure he's good for Nikhil Harry. I still think Nikhil Harry struggles to earn Brady's trust, and I'm not sure his role is what it is right now. But you're seeing him develop before our very eyes, and you saw it last night. Cam Newton is starting to trust him. The coaching staff starting to trust him. He has more of a role. I'm not sure if that would have been the case if Tom Brady were here. My opening drive has to do with James White, of course, and the tragic news that we learned yesterday prior to the game that White's parents got into a car accident. Unfortunately, his dad, Tyrone, passed away from that accident. His mother, Lisa, is in critical condition. Uh, Obviously, first and foremost, our condolences go out uh, to James and his family. This is just terrible, terrible news. Um, it quickly made its way around the league. A lot of players were tweeting out about it, former teammates of his at Wisconsin, guys around the league. Obviously, he's a very well-respected player around the league, but but this is just terrible news, Kevin. Yeah, brutal. And uh, the way it kind of came out made it even more shocking, you know. Um, I think, what was it, 45 minutes before kickoff, and um, everyone's timelines blew up. And, um, yeah, just a terrible story. And, um, again, you said it, our condolences out to him. And, uh, I actually thought the team was going to rally around him last night and kind of seemed like they did for a little while, but uh, we'll get into that more, obviously. But, yeah, just a, a terrible, terrible story. Yeah, it was awful. And obviously he was inactive last night. 
Uh, it's yet to be determined whether or not he plays this week. Obviously, he and his family will have to make arrangements and whatnot. Father is still in the hospital. So uh, it's quite possible he doesn't play this week either. And obviously, if he doesn't, they'll, they'll go with Sony Michelle, Rex Burkhead, J.J. Taylor. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they make another move there. But let's get into the game. Obviously, you know, when you look at this one, it was a great game. And, and, and when you look at the history of these two franchises, counting last night, they've played 19 times. They've only played six times in recent years, but those six times, including Super Bowl 49, were fantastic games. Last night was no different. It literally came down to the last play of the game on the one-yard line. Seattle gets to stop to preserve a 35-30 win over the Patriots. Lots of positives in this one, but I also think a lot of negatives. Uh, let's start with the positives. Cam Newton in the offense. You know, when we go back and look at that Miami game, they ran the football well. Newton had 75 yards rushing. He threw for a buck 55. They were they were pretty bounds, but they ran the football 67% of the time in that game, despite the fact that the statistics would show that they were balanced. Um, it was it, I will say this: I did not see them throwing the football as well as they did last night. Part of me thought that they would have more success than they did against Miami because this Seattle secondary is not very good, particularly at cornerback. But I didn't see this. So I think that's a positive. Julian Edelman has a career night. Nikhil Harry starting to develop a relationship with, with Cam Newton. Newton obviously rising to the occasion, playing at a high level, keeping his team in it. Those were all positives. The negative, obviously, is the performance of their defense. Their defense was awful last night. It's really disappointing, considering this has been the best defense in the league for the past year. Yeah. And while they had games like this at the tail end of last season against Baltimore and then that that last home game against Miami, they just they didn't have an answer last night. You take the pick six out of the equation, Kevin. Yeah. Bill Belichick, his kid, the defensive coaching staff, they didn't have an answer for what Seattle was doing. And I think part of the problem is – if they don't match up in the secondary, it's going to be a long day for this defense because a lot of the problems that they've had in recent years, they continue to have. They can't generate a pass rush. They lack depth at linebackers, so they're shorthanded there. They played primarily with two of them last night. Mm -hmm. And this secondary, as good as they are, and you can certainly make the case of the best in the league, again, as I said, if they don't match up, it's a long day at the office, and that certainly was the case last night. Yeah, and the Gilmore thing, um, that's starting to scare me a little bit too because – Teams look like they're picking on him, and you don't want that with the defensive player of the year. But um, to back up a little bit, you mentioned it, just an instant classic. These teams, every single game, it seems like it goes right down to the wire. Uh, I was at that game at Gillette in 2016. I remember as much as it as I should, but um, that's a different story. But, no, it's, it's incredible how, first of all, it sucks these teams only play every four years because um, that's, a, that's a great rivalry you have there. But you can't really call it a rivalry because you just don't see them enough. Um, so it's 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 entertaining every time they play. Uh, some of the stuff that stood out to me, the defense was bad, but my guy Chase Winovich, you know, I've been on him all year. He was pushing pushing people in um, Russell Wilson's space all night long. Uh, his motor is unbelievable. Now, having said that, the secondary didn't really bail to help him out. Um, you mentioned Cam. We had talked about it earlier. They were going to have to throw the ball to win. But even at 28-17, to 17, I thought it was over. Uh, I just didn't think the offense was going to be good enough to to be able to keep up. And lo and behold, you have a bomb to Edelman, which I don't know if we've ever seen um, in 20 right. years. So uh, there was just so much from that game that you can pick apart. Um, the Pete Carroll play call on third down, 
he he has a mind fart every single time he plays them. Uh, it's incredible. So, yeah, man, just an instant classic. Um, the offense was surprising. Nikhil Harry, to me, yes, he was better. Man, he can't break a tackle for his life. No, uh, not who he is. I mean, he's a big oh. possession receiver. That's what he's going to be in this league. Yeah. And in their offense, that's what he needs to be. I, look, when he was coming out of Arizona State, I think a lot of people thought he was going to be more than that. Mm -hmm. But clearly, when you look at the speed of the NFL and you look at his game, his game doesn't translate from a speed standpoint. Yeah. So he's going to be your quintessential X receiver and 21 personnel. He'll be that big split end that will line up out there. You can run a slant to him, a slant and go. You can run digs with him. You can run what I call body routes, routes where a big receiver can body up a corner and out and out position him to possess the ball. That's what Nikhil Harry is. He's not a guy who's going to vertically consistently take the top off a of cover. No, but there's a, there's a few plays last night where, you know, if he breaks one tackle, if not a 50-plus yard gain, it's a touchdown. So that's annoying to see sometimes. I get it. Uh, and it also didn't help that you had, you know, DK Metcalf on the other side kind of bowing out a little bit. So uh, I, I, that's still – Yeah, and he went after right. Nikhil Harry. Yeah. So, uh, again, a little bit all over the place there, but there's just so much to take from that game last night. And, uh, again, an instant classic. I feel better about it than I did the Miami game last week, um, to be honest, because – Again, when it was 28-17, I thought Seattle was going to run away with it. So um, the fact that Cam Newton showed what he showed last night, and again, I hopped on the drive last week uh, after Miami had made it 14-11, he has some fight in him, and that's huge uh, if he's going to lead this team. Well, look, I mean, I think one of the things that people around here need to get over themselves about is the guy is a former league MVP. He's yeah. led the Carolina Panthers to a Super Bowl. He's played at an elite level. He's been a top five quarterback in this league when he's playing at the top of his game. So to me, what he did last night does not surprise me. Now, I think people need to pump the brakes a little bit with this contract extension talk. I, I do think they need to offer him one in due time mm -hmm. before he hits free agency. I'm not quite sure I would do it after two games, though. First of all, he has to prove he can stay healthy, which isn't a given. Mm -hmm. And second of all, he needs to prove that he can do this week in and week out play at this level. I think if he does that, by the time you get to week seven, eight, nine, ten, maybe then you do that. But that's not the Patriots' style. I'd be surprised if they announce that they got something done with him during the regular season, it's not to say that it can't happen. It's just not something that they typically do. I, I was disappointed, I will admit, with that play call to end the game. Uh, look, you know what? In that situation, of course you're going to put the ball in Cam Newton's hands because in that situation you're thinking players, not plays. You're going to put the ball in your best player's hand. I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is running a quarterback power where you pull your backside guard through. He gets untracked. He can't get to his spot. Jakob Johnson isn't able to root out that edge defender, and so they can't create that alley that you have to create to crease power, and the end result is the Seahawks blow it up. I would have rather said, you know what, screw it. Get him under center, wedge it and run quarterback sneak, or run quarterback wedge out of gun and make it a north-south play, make it vertical, or dare I say, for that situation, maybe you have a jump pass in, in that package, and I'm sure that they either have it in that package and they've repped it or they're going to put it in. Now, look, hindsight's always 2020. Who the hell am I to question Belichick and McDaniels? And I'm sure people out there are probably thinking that. But at the end of the day, you ran to that. When you look at you were in 14 personnel, two tight ends, and you had two extra offensive linemen in the role of two tight ends. You were in 14 personnel. You did that same exact motion with the tight end. 
You motioned over the fullback, and you did that three other times in that game. Did you not think that when you did that last night, did you not think that they're thinking, you know what, they're going that way, let's slant our defensive line that way, and let's fall that way? Of course they are. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the day, it's not surprising that it didn't work. So whether or not people agree with being critical of McDaniels or not, he deserves criticism in that situation because I think they either should have gone the other way or they should have had they should have done something else in that situation. I don't think a quarterback power on the one-yard line when you have a 6'5", 237-pound quarterback was a good idea. I get what you're trying to do, but this is a defense that moves well laterally. They're fast. You have Bobby Wagner, arguably the best inside linebacker in the game, and you have Jamal Adams, the best safety in the game right now. Okay, You don't want to allow them to get downhill and over the top and make a play in the backfield, and by calling a play like that, that's exactly what you did. All right, let's put this one in the books. Let's move forward to week three. In week three, the Las Vegas Raiders will come to town. Of course, they're playing the Saints tonight on Monday Night Football as we speak. This is an interesting football team. When you look at the Raiders, they are much better. General Manager Mike Mayock and John Gruen have done a really nice job of retooling this roster. Offensively, they have a lot of intriguing pieces. Obviously, you have Derek Carr at quarterback, but you have Josh Jacobs at running back, Darren Waller at tight end. Uh, When you look at them at receiver, you have Henry Ruggs, Hunter Renfro. They've got a a lot of versatile pieces that can do some different things. And then when you look at them defensively, they don't have a lot of household names along their front seven, but it's a pretty good front seven. And that secondary, they've invested a lot in. They've really put some money into that secondary uh, in in terms of draft capital. When you got guys like Garnett, you got guys like Abrams, they've really invested in that secondary. So, This is going to be a tough game for the Patriots. I think when the schedule came out, a lot of people probably looked at this game and said that this is a winnable game. But I'm going to tell you right now, man, this is a good football team that's tough. They're physical. And I think the Patriots are going to have their hands full with them. So I'm with you. Um, I like Vegas overall this year. But the spot screams out to me, Patriots blowout. Short week for Vegas, coming cross country. I I just don't see how – uh, Gruden kind of outcoaches Belichick after, especially what just happened to them last night. Now, again, everything you said, I'm completely on board with. Uh, I think Vegas is extremely talented. Henry Ruggs is now my favorite fantasy receiver, uh, hopefully this year. But, um, no, I'm with you in terms of Vegas being severely underrated uh, by a lot of people this year. It's just a spot to me. It, it screams Patriots win. Um, and, again, it's, you know, we're a week out. But um, that's a that's a real tough you know, turnaround for Vegas to to play on Monday night and then come all the way out here. Yeah, I don't see blowout here simply because I think that this is a team that can run the football and control the clock. Mm. And I think that if they can effectively do that, and the Patriots did not prove last night that they can stop the run. Their their struggles against the run continued last night. And and look, as long as you're playing a, a, a base nickel defense, which is what the Patriots have essentially become now, they're going to have a tough time stopping the run. That's just the reality of the situation. Even though you're playing with Kyle Duggar and Adrian Phillips at safety and you're using them essentially as the de facto third linebacker because they're playing the big nickel spot, you're going to struggle to stop the run, okay? And so when you're nickel and dime as much as they are, teams are going to line up and run the football out of them. And remember now, the NFL has become a predominantly 11 personnel league. The Raiders are a little different in that. They'll give you 11 personnel, but they're also going to give you 21, 22. They're going to play big is my point. And I think when they get into those personnel groupings, obviously the Patriots aren't going to sit a nickel. They'll play more base and they'll match them size-wise. 
But this is a team that I think if they commit to Josh Jacobs and they don't fall behind early, that's going to be the key. Their defense has to play well when they're on the field. But as long as they don't fall behind early, if they can establish Jacobs in this running game, John Gruden, one thing I've noticed about him this time around in his coaching career, he's a lot more patient a play caller when it comes to the running game than he was when he was in Oakland the first time or Tampa. He was still a West Coast guy yeah. when he was in Oakland the first time and then in Tampa. He wanted to throw the football first. Mm -hmm. I think he wants to be more balanced now. I think he wants to run the football more now. And so I think if if Las Vegas can do that early and establish Jacobs and Devin Booker in this running game, I think that they're going to be tough to beat. I don't see a blowout here simply because what nothing leads me to believe based on the way this defense played last night. And, and don't get me wrong, Oakland's skill group isn't as good as Seattle's, but nothing would lead me to believe that they're going to play well enough that you're going to be able to blow this team out, okay? And so I think that's the difference. And the other thing to keep in mind is it's 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 a week-to-week -week league. You know this, Kevin. It's a matchup league. And this yeah. Las Vegas secondary, I think, will pose more problems for the Patriots' passing game than Seattle's secondary did. Um. Again, I'm completely with you on that. My question to you then would be, do you have faith that Vegas isn't, you know, still Vegas and they actually show up here next week? No, they'll show up here. I, listen, man, I don't buy into the nonsense about West Coast teams coming east and playing at 10 in the morning, all that happy-go-lucky horse crap. I, I, Kevin, I don't, you know, I've had a lot of friends say that to me. Well, you know, they got to come out here. It's going to be a tough adjustment. Yeah, I know it's going to be a tough adjustment. But again, this is the NFL. And to quote the great Jerry Glanville, if you don't do your job, it's going to stand for not for long. So you're not going to be in the league very long. So at the end of the day, these aren't, you know what, these aren't your older brothers Raiders. I think this football team is much improved. It wouldn't surprise me if they went tonight. I don't think they will, but it wouldn't surprise me. You know, when you look at how well they played offensively in week one at Carolina, and as we saw yesterday, that Carolina defense is young. They're talented, but they're young. Yeah. Um, again, I think it's going to come down to how well their defense plays. They don't have a lot of household names along that front seven other than Cleveland Farrell and uh, Corey Littleton, but they're they're tough and they're well coached. Paul Gunther, their defensive coordinator, does a pretty good job, and that secondary plays well behind them. They can hold up early and they can control the clock offensively. I think this will be a game. Now, look, I think the Patriots win, and it wouldn't surprise me if they won by two scores, mm -hmm. but but a traditional blowout where they win by three to four scores, I don't see that. I, I would be surprised if that happened. All right, let's uh, shift gears here now and um, go over to the Heights and talk about the Boston College Eagles. Man, what an impressive win on Saturday. They beat Duke down in Durham 26-6. Um, I believe at one point you and I were texting and you said to me that this is um, the ugliest game in football history. It was seven to six at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, naturally, my reaction was I'm sure there have been worse, mm -hmm. but the final score is a little misleading, right? Because uh, for three quarters, no, well, not for three quarters, for a half, this was a pretty good game. Mm -hmm. And then Boston College pulls away in the third quarter and they ended up winning by three scores. But either way you slice it, Kevin, this was a pretty impressive debut for Jeff Halfley. Yeah, I texted you that. I think probably midway through the second quarter uh, of the 76 game and uh, just a punch fest. So, uh, yeah, it was ugly early on. But uh, BC's first drive, I believe it was 14 or 13 plays, about 80 yards, marched down field. Could not have asked for a better start. They got a little timid. Uh, and it was very, very touch and go early on in that first half uh, and throughout the second quarter. When that second, the third quarter started, um, I believe they kicked a field goal instead of uh, taking advantage of uh, our turnover. And then after that, it seemed like 
someone said something, and they just kind of let loose. Um, Yurkovich started slinging it. The play calling was uh, a little bit more aggressive, I would say. It was it was almost as if someone just kind of, you know, one of those wind-up toys. Uh, half would just kind of wound up their backs and just kind of let them go. Uh, and then I know you caught the second half. Um, they were a completely different team. And then offensively, we had talked about the skill. Zay Flowers just won ACC uh, Receiver of the Week for his performance. I think it was, I want to say, 162 yards. Yeah. Uh, I could go off on that. But, uh, man, every question that we had had, at least, uh, and I know a lot of other people had had, was the answer. I mean, the defense, five turnovers. Uh, you were talking about a lot of the schemes they were doing. It was completely different from what we saw last year. Uh, again, Jokovic, 300 yards passing. I don't remember the last time BC had a 300-yard passer. <laughs> so uh, it's been – it was impressive to say the least. But um, there were still some mistakes, admittedly. But, man, I was I was very impressed with, with how they looked. Yeah, they, they played really well defensively. And I think the one thing that sticks out to me right away is the impact of the transfers. Yeah. You know, th- this team had holes when Halfley took over, and they and they weren't necessarily going to be able to fill some of those holes internally, but they were able to do it through the transfer route. And when you look at all the transfers they brought in, you know, whether it be the two defensive linemen from Buffalo and Cal, Beckett, and we'll call him Buffalo, um, and then Deion Jones, safety from Maryland, who can also play corner, um, these guys all made an impact. And then you look at, obviously, Jakovic made the biggest impact of all of them at quarterback. So that was the one thing that stuck out to me was that all of these transfers that they brought in that had played and succeeded in other programs came in and they made an immediate impact. And, and I, I felt that for Boston College to, to, to be a team that can win seven or eight games this year, these transfers were going to have to make an impact, and they certainly did week one. I can't say enough about their defense. Defensive coordinator Tem Lacabu had a great game plan. Uh, as I mentioned on Twitter, they did a lot in terms of their fronts, uh, a lot in terms of twisting, uh, consistent five- and six-man pressures. They weren't afraid to play man-to-man and zone blitz. Um, and, and you can't say enough about that. The you know when you look at this Duke team, they do present some matchup problems with Chase Bryce at quarterback and Noah Gray, Jake Bobo, um, you know Jackson at running back. Boston College did a great job of neutralizing those guys and getting consistent pressure on Bryce. He was uncomfortable all afternoon. They never really allowed him to get going. And then offensively, you know, they got off to a slow start, and that's to be expected because you've got a first-year starter, first-year coordinator. You're trying to figure things out early on, trying to figure out what you have. But once Jakovic got comfortable and once Signetti started to find things on that play sheet that allowed him to get into a rhythm – you started to see them take that next step offensively in the third quarter and in the fourth quarter. Now, look, you know, Duke is Duke on paper had the potential to be good this year, not great. That you know, that this isn't a watershed win by any means, but it's a good win and it's an important win because it's Halfley's first win. Now, this week they have Texas State at home, and then they'll have a real test when North Carolina comes into town on October third, but. Certainly, you 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 couldn't help but but be happy for him for Jeff Halfley, but you couldn't also help but be impressed with this program right now. I mean, they're in a really good place, both off the field with recruiting and on the field. And and, and I thought Halfley was genuine in his post game press conference and, and and the comments he made. I, I think this is a guy that these kids are going to love playing for. I think you see why they're getting four star recruits to commit to the program because he's a guy 
that has the, the, the right temperament and the right persona, and I think that appeals to kids. And, and like I said, again, I know I'm sure there were a lot of people on Twitter that probably thought that we should pump the brakes, that we were tongue-bathing them a little bit too much. But we, you know, I, I can speak for myself. I've been around that program for a long time, and there is definitely something different about it, okay? And when I talk about being around that program, I'm talking about going all the way back to, you know, Dan Henning, Tom O'Brien, those days. So I've been around that program for a long time, and I can tell you that I think the attitude and and the and the feel around the program is a lot different. And and you know, I will say I didn't I wasn't sure Halfley was gonna be the guy when the process started after Adazio was fired. And even after they hired him, I had my reservations because I felt there were some other candidates out there that might have had more experience. But this guy's a real deal, and I think this program is heading in the right direction. I still think ultimately they're a six and five, seven and four team. But in a year like this, Kevin, that's not going to matter. It's going to be all about progress. And I think right now they're going to make real progress. All right, let's um, let's shift gears here. Obviously, Saturday they host Texas State. It's kind of a game that uh, AD Pat Kraft had to cobble together last minute. But they're hosting Texas State, and it's going to be a 6 o'clock kickoff, which I find pretty interesting. I'm not sure why they're kicking off at 6 o'clock against Texas State with no one there. But um, on the surface, this is a winnable game. Texas State – is coached by Jake Spivital, really good offensive coach. They're an air raid offensive team. They have some skill. They can move the football. Um, defensively, they play physical, but I'm not sure they're going to match up with this BC football team. Boston College should win this game, but I think the biggest thing for me is I would like to see them progress, not regress. This is a game that they could potentially regress a little bit because this is a game they should win. It'll be interesting to see how they do. Yeah, I was just going to say, they're going to want, you know, top 25 votes this week. So if they are a top 25 team or a team that, you know, wants to push that that upper echelon, this is a game they win by, you know, 20, 30 points. Um, this is one of those should-be-a-blowout-type games, at least in my opinion. Um, real quick, I just wanted to back up for two seconds. Halfway, you mentioned that every player uh, after that Duke win was going to get a game ball. Um, so to the people that had told us, you know, to pump the brakes – that game is about much more than football to that entire program uh, and everyone that follows them. So uh, I just want to make sure that would that was you know well known. Uh, Halfley knows exactly how to get through these kids, or at least he does so far. But uh, in terms of Texas State, like uh, like we both said, this is a game they should win, and uh, and hopefully they win in convincing fashion because uh, North Carolina is looming, and uh, that game is now on either ABC or ESPN. So yeah, it's a very uh, start. And then you yeah. got Pitt the week after that, which is also going to be a tough game. Yeah, so they're going to have some eyes on them early here. Uh, so, th- again, you mentioned it. You can't regress against Texas State. This is a game that if you are a top 25 team, you win by, you know, 20, 30 points. Yeah, and I think it's it's funny because I think that, you know, um, again, you know, like you mentioned, this is a game you should you should win comfortably, but – this is an odd year. And again, I think this team is very well coached. I think offensively, they have the potential to potentially hang with Boston College for a little bit. But I will tell you this, uh, given the way that they're playing right now um, defensively, it doesn't matter what Jake Spivital comes up with. I don't think it's going to matter. They're playing at such a high level. Yeah. Um we are going to backtrack here for a sec. We do have a couple of um, questions that came in. Well, yeah. comments, I should say. Go Patriots. And then, uh, sup, boys, what wide receivers would you like to see the Pats pursue before the deadline? 
It'll be interesting. I That's a great question. I, I think that they need another receiver. I think Nikhil Harry will come along as the season goes along because I think he's playing with Cam Newton and they're starting to develop a rapport and he's comfortable with Newton. But I would like to see them go out and pursue a veteran receiver before the deadline. Uh, it's going to be tough. I mean, receivers are a, a funny position because there's a lot of them out there, but they're not necessarily easy to acquire. And given all the injuries that happened this weekend, I'm not sure teams are going to be willing to deal necessarily. And with the expanded playoffs, more teams are going to be in the playoff hunt as we get into the end of the regular season. So you're going to have less selling. Uh, there's going to be more buyers, but less sellers. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, but I, I would like to see them go out and bring in a veteran receiver that um, that can complement Edelman and Harry and Bird, who also played well last night. I also wouldn't mind seeing them maybe bringing bringing in a veteran tight end. You know, you know, and right now it's only two weeks, but Dalton Keene's been inactive for the first two games. Yeah. Devin Ostiasi, you don't even know if he's on the roster. He's been that much of a non-factor. And Ryan Izzo, he's made a couple of catches. I thought he's done a pretty nice job blocking for them. But, again, I mean, at best, he's a backup tight end, a second tight end. Realistically, he's more of a third tight end. So that's a position that they could potentially address as well. All right, let's shift gears again here. I wanted to get to that question. Um, it's actually – Brain 93. I think that was actually uh, Adam Manzaro, who I worked with at the Metro West. So appreciate him listening. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. All right, let's uh, let's go back to the college ranks here. Obviously, a big announcement today out of Amherst. UMass football is back. Athletic Director Ryan Bamford announces that the UMass football program is, in fact, going to attempt to play this fall. They are currently in the process of scheduling games. They are looking to schedule anywhere from six to eight games. They're going to have about an eight-week window between mid-October and mid-December to get these games in. Uh, Kevin, right out of the gate, what are your thoughts on UMass football coming back? So my immediate reaction was, who the hell are they going to play? Um, so, I mean, it, it's great for us. Uh, it's great for them that, you know, we have another local team to cover. Uh, BCU is currently the only team playing football in this region right now. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm pumped that they're back. I'm pumped to to see what they look like. We had talked about them a little bit uh, during some of our first shows, but um, there was just nothing to really talk about with them. Uh, so now we'll have them to to kind of follow as well. So uh, that's cool. But again, I mostly want to ask you, who the hell do they play now? <laughs> well, they're gonna. I, their first phone calls are gonna be to independents, other independents, yeah. Army, BYU, Liberty. They're gonna see if they could schedule them. Uh, I know that BYU still needed a couple of games as of a couple of weeks ago, so that's a possibility. You can also dip into the FCS ranks. I mean, there are FCS schools that are playing. I mean, the whole thing is so messed up. Austin P, for example played three games and they're done. There's a program that you could have possibly picked up. I don't see them finding eight games. I think that's going to be virtually impossible. I mean, if they do, kudos to Bamford in that athletic department. I don't see that. I could see a six-game schedule, though. I could see them possibly cobbling together in enough games to play six of them. But I, I think, look, I, I love that they did this. I mean, they, they had over 1,800 COVID-19 tests and they only had two positives. I mean, that's pretty much on par with Boston College. So yeah. they've done a tremendous job managing the virus on that campus and, and within the program. But again, this is the problem that I have with all of this. Why did you did you make that decision so quickly? Why not say we're on a holding pattern right now? 
We're going to give ourselves until the end of September. If by that point, we don't think that our testing is coming back where we want it to, if we have an X number of positive tests, we're not going to play. We're going to try to play in the spring of 2021. Why wouldn't you do that? I don't understand why all of these programs and these conferences were so quick to say, oh, we quit and started waving the white flag. It just, it made no sense to me. Again, like I said, I could see them getting six games. That's going to be tough. But eight, I don't see it. But regardless, Kevin, I think them playing now versus spring of 2021 is huge. I think it's it's great for the program. I think it's going to help them with recruiting. And I think it's it's a situation where I think now they recognize that, hey, look, it's just us in BC. There's no UConn. There's no Ivy League. There's no Holy Cross. We're the only games in town. We're going to get some eyes on us. So I think that was part of their decision as well. Yeah, hell yeah. I mean, we'll be there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, again, you mentioned it. Recruiting, too. Uh, we had talked about some of the big games that, you know, they had lost this year. I think it was Auburn, right? They were supposed to go to Auburn? Yeah. Uh, $1.9 million payday out the window. Right. So uh, those odds were gone. So if nothing else, for like you said, recruiting around here, man, you're competing with BC, and uh, BC started you know up that game a little bit. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's huge for them. And But I will say this, Kevin, to, to that point, Walt Bell and his staff have done a tremendous job, mm-hmm. not just recruiting around here, but they have a lot of inroads in the DMV, Florida, New Jersey, New York, they've been able to tap into those connections and they've actually done a really good job of recruiting. They've added some some quality talent, some, some two and even a couple of three-star kids. So I, I think they've done a nice job in recruiting. They're certainly not going to get the attention that BC does in that regard. Mm-hmm. But but again, I think it's great that they're coming back. I, I felt that even though they were an independent, I think independents were in a little bit of a different boat. I felt even though they were an independent, I thought that they rushed that decision not to play. So I'm glad they've, that they've realized that, you know what, we've got a pretty good handle on this. Why don't we try to play now instead of complicating things and trying to play in the spring? So who knows? It'll be interesting to see. Speaking of college football, you ready to give me uh, your three picks for the week? I am. Uh, first one's going to be BC. I believe it's 18. Uh, yeah. We just talked about it. I think they should win by 30, to be honest with you. So – uh, I'm trying to pull it up right now. Uh, BC, minus 18. Uh, I am also going to take Oklahoma, minus 28 and a half over Kansas State. Um, that's Again, it's just one of those teams that that's a statement game for them, uh, for the pole voters and all that. So, like Oklahoma. Uh, then give me Notre Dame as well. Uh, they are minus 16 and a half at Wake Forest. Uh, I don't know how Wake keeps that game close. Yeah, well, Wake's, uh, Wake's had a tough start to the season. I mean, they opened at home with Clemson. Uh, Clemson, they, they played them tough for a, for a quarter, but Clemson ended up running them out of the joint. They had a great game with NC State this weekend, and Notre Dame is coming off a 52-0 shellacking of South Florida. That was a pretty impressive win by them, considering they've had some kids in quarantine. Uh, I agree with you there. My three games – I'm going to – the SEC kicks off this weekend, by the way. So, that business is starting to pick up now. Now we're going to have the SEC – and in about a month, we're going to have the Big Ten, and hopefully the Pac-12 follows suit. We'll see. They're dragging their feet a little bit. But I'm going to take Ole Miss. I like Ole Miss as a 14-point home dog against Florida. I think Florida wins the game, but if I were betting on this one, 14 is a nice number. I'd put my money on Lane Kiffin and, and, and the Rebels at home. I think that they'll cover that game. I don't think Florida wins by two scores. Um, Mississippi State and LSU, look, this isn't last year's LSU team. They have lost a ton of talent. They're not going to be as good as they were last year. 
minus 16. They're 16-point favorites at home against Mike Leach's Mississippi State Bulldogs. Give me the Pirate all day here. I think LSU wins the game, but I think Mississippi State with K.J. Costello at quarterback, they're going to play him tough. I like the Bulldogs there. And you know what? I may be starting to get on that Miami Hurricane bandwagon. They were pretty impressive Saturday night, and that went at Louisville. De'Ara King is the real deal. They've got a ton of young skill. They got two tight ends that are that are real weapons that could really stretch the field. They are favored by 11 at home against Florida State. Florida State, of course, will be playing that game without head coach Mike Norvell, who uh, tested positive for COVID, and he is uh, quarantined. He's going to be coaching from home. Give me Miami there. I like him as an 11 point home favorite. All right, let's shift gears here now. Let's go back to the NFL. You ready to do our picks for week three? Yeah. Do you want our records from last week? What did you have? Yeah, sure. I mean, I listen, I you're a better man than I, my friend, because I will never keep track of that. So I'm glad you are. Well, no, I forgot week one. So I figured I'd start week two. If I have it right, you went 14 and one last week. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. I believe you're only. Maybe I should be keeping track of my record then. I believe your only loss was Cincinnati. Uh, I was twelve and three, so not bad for for both of us so far. But no, we're we're not as dumb as we look. Well, for now, <laughs> right? We'll see what this week holds. All right, let's just start with the Thursday night game. Of course, as always, we'll do the Patriots game last. Let's not forget to do it this week, though, and that's my responsibility as the host of this thing. Thank goodness you reminded me. We're going to do the Patriots last. Let's start with the Thursday night game, the Miami Dolphins at 0-2. Go into uh, Duval to battle the Jacksonville Jaguars, who played the Tennessee Titans pretty tough yesterday. They ended up losing 33-30. Jacksonville is favored by a field goal. Who do you got in that one? I like Jacksonville, man. Gardner Minshew for two weeks has been impressive. Uh, a lot of people thought that team was going to tank, but they're doing the complete opposite, and they're playing hard every game. Yeah, I'm with you, man. This is not – everybody thought that this team was going to go 0-16, 1-15, and I told people, I said, there's still a lot of young talent on this football team. Just because they've jettisoned some of the higher-profile players and names doesn't mean that this is a team that you should take lightly. Minshew appears to be the real deal. If they're tanking for Trevor, they're not doing a good job of it. I agree with you, too. I like the Jaguars in that one. I'm going to take them as a home favorite. Um, next, we have the Chicago Bears at 2-0, a surprising 2-0, uh, traveling to Atlanta to um, to take on embattled head coach Dan Quinn and the Atlanta Falcons, who should be embarrassed the way they lost that game at home to Dallas yesterday. The Falcons are favored by three and a half. You know what? I'm going to go with the Falcons here. I mean, they, they played Seattle tough. They deserved – you can make the argument that they deserved better – um, but I, you know, yesterday was inexcusable to me. I mean, you, what you saw yesterday is what this team could be. Yeah. They, they, they're a little lacking on the defensive side of the ball in some spots, but if this team is on point offensively, they're as good as anybody in the league. I think that they're finally going to get it right. I think that they now know that their coach's back is against the wall and they got to play for him. And I think they will here. I'd like the Atlanta Falcons to cover as a home favorite and beat the Chicago bears. Yeah. I actually want to here. Uh, both of their games have been shootouts, so I just don't know how Chicago keeps up with them. I know Trubisky's been pretty good, but, I mean, Atlanta's been scoring, I think they scored 35-plus both of their uh, first games. So, uh, yeah, I like the Falcons here, too. Yeah, and we do have a question here uh, from K. Taj1415. Do you think the Jaguars getting rid of malcontents like Ramsey and Fournette has changed the culture? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, look. 
bottom line is when, when you're going with younger players that are on their first contract, they're more motivated, their careers are on the line, they're more than like they're more likely to fall in line than guys like Ramsey and Fournette who are established players who are getting paid. So at the end of the day, I absolutely think that part of the reason why they jettison veterans like that is they wanted to change the culture. They wanted to move on from Tom Coughlin and some of the players he brought in, and they've done that. And I think a lot of people have been very critical of Jaguars GM David Caldwell, but he has done a nice job in the draft. They have drafted better than people think. They've also spent their money better than people think. Uh, it'll be interesting to see – uh, what direction that goes in. But if they're tanking for Trevor, like I said, they're not doing a pretty good job. Yeah. Um, uh, FLANO0 says, thoughts on Lynn Bowden Jr. trade from Raiders to Miami. Rumors are he's a world-class tool. He's got a lot of baggage, man. He came with a lot of baggage out of Kentucky. Um, I, I think when you look at that trade from Miami's standpoint, I think it's a pretty good trade because I think if he, if he can get his head on straight, he's a versatile piece. And in this day and age where teams are looking – for receivers that that not only can can play the receiver position but can contribute in the run game on the jet sweep, maybe some direct snap packages. Bowden has experience as a quarterback and receiver. He fits the mold of a Debo Samuel and a LaVisca Chenault. I think he could be a nice player for Miami, but he's got to make sure that he gets his head on straight. Well, the other thing, um, all right, so did, did you give me your uh, Bears-Falcons pick? Yes, Atlanta. Uh, just real quick, that was Mike Flanagan too, so I appreciate him listening as well. Um, if, if you're going to be a tool bag, if you're going to go to Miami, who's going to really notice? You know what I mean? So, um, no, but but I think that was a nice trade for them. I, I thought it was. Yeah. I, I thought it was odd that Oakland drafted him and invested in him, and then they turn around and deal him. But apparently, there were some issues there. He he was having some issues with some of his teammates, and and supposedly Mike Mayock um, basically. When he traded him, it was his way of saying, you know what, we screwed up. We shouldn't have drafted him. So that remains to be seen how he does in Miami. But the talent is certainly there. All right, Rams, a surprising Rams. They're 2-0. They traveled to Buffalo to battle the Bills on Sunday. Bills favored by a field goal. This is a pretty interesting game, my friend. This could be the game of the week. Who do you got? Uh, tough one. Might be the toughest pick of the week. I'm going to go with Buffalo just because they're at home. Um, the Rams team has surprised me. I thought they were going to fall off a cliff, kind of like Atlanta has uh, after that Patriots Super Bowl. But uh, McVay's done a good job kind of you know, straightening things back out. And uh, that's a good team, but I, I do like Buffalo at home. Give me the Rams, man. I think they're playing really well. And and I know it's easy to say, well, they beat Dallas and Philly, and those two wins could be misleading. I get it. Buffalo, to me, still has to prove that they're consistent. Yeah, they're 2-0. and And, and – yeah, they have two nice wins, I suppose, but they beat the Jets and the Dolphins, who are combined 0-4. Yeah. This is going to be a real test for them, and, and the way I see it, I don't think they pass it. The Rams are a far different animal, no pun intended, than the Jets and the Dolphins, and so uh, I, I like the L.A. Rams here. I, I think that they are turning, turning it around. I think that in many ways, moving on from Gurley and Cooks, is going to help them because now they can play more to their identity offensively and what Sean McVay likes to do with the pieces he has. Uh, Tyler Higby is a man among boys right now. He is quickly um, moving up the uh, proverbial ladder, if you will, at the tight end position. I like the Rams in this one. If Buffalo wins this one, then I think Buffalo is in a pretty good spot to, to, you know, to make the argument that, hey, you know what, we're going to live up to the preseason hype. But I, I'm not – I'm not quite ready to go there yet. I like the Rams in this one. All right, the Washington football team. I 
hate saying that. The Washington football team at one and one travels to Cleveland to take on Baker Mayfield, a rejuvenated Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns. Who do you got in this one? So I'm going to take Washington here. Uh, that Cleveland offensive line is pretty bad, uh, and that Washington pass rush might eat him alive all day. So I don't think it's going to be a, a you know, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be, you know, 17, 10-ish, I think. Uh, but I like the Redskins there. Oh, sorry, the football team there. Um, yeah. just, <laughs> Bite your tongue, Stone. Kidding, right? Uh, no, I like that pass rush, though. Yeah, I do too. That defensive line is, first of all, you have a bunch of, they're all, all four of those guys. Well, three of the four of them are first round picks. So, I mean, there you go. There's a ton of talent on that front seven. So it's, I agree with you that they could give them problems, but I'm going to go with the Browns here. They're favored by seven. Look, I think on paper, Cleveland is as talented as any team in, in the entire league, not just the AFC it's all about consistency. I think Kevin Stefanski was the right hire there. I think his scheme fits Baker Mayfield and his style. I like the Browns in this one. I agree with you. It could be a 17-10 type of game. I think Washington still has to figure things out offensively. Dwayne Haskins is inconsistent. They don't really have a guy at running back right now that they trust to give the ball to consistently. They have Antonio Gibson, Peyton Barber, J.D. McKissick. It's just three it's two average guys, really, in Barber and McKissick, and a guy in Gibson who could be good, but he's a rookie. But give me Cleveland in that one. we got another question here. If you're the Bills, um, how would you utilize Allen and, and Diggs against Ramsey in that secondary? Well, you know they're going to put Jalen Ramsey more than likely oh, on Stephon Diggs if they want to play the matchup game. I think what you do with Stephon Diggs is you move him. You motion him. You stack him. You try to give him as many free releases as possible. Because the one thing with Jalen Ramsey is he is physical. He is long, and he's arguably the most physical corner in the league. He will get his hands on you, and he will reroute you. So the best way to get Stephon Diggs open against a guy like that is to stack him and motion him so you can give him a free release, and now he can get into space and make a play one-on-one. The thing with Ramsey is as good as he is at that, he is a guy that does struggle even though he's a pretty good open field tackler, he is a guy that struggles against speedy receivers that have lateral quickness. Uh, Diggs has that. So uh, that'll be an interesting matchup there. All right, next we have the uh, Tennessee Titans at 2-0, traveling to Minnesota to battle the Minnesota Vikings. I'm going to go with Tennessee in this one. I, I, I Look, the Titans, they're going to drive you crazy because some weeks they're going to look really good. Their defense is going to play at a top five level. They're going to run the football and dominate the line of scrimmage, and then there are going to be games like yesterday when they look like the Tennessee Titans that we're used to. Um, Minnesota's in a world of trouble. Kirk Cousins was awful yesterday. Like I'm talking makes you want to throw up awful. They're a mess right now on both sides of the ball. Give me the Titans in this one. I think they cover. They're favored by two and a half. I think they win by a touchdown. Yeah, with the Tennessee, just one of those teams. Uh, Mike Frabo, he's going to find a way to win no matter how ugly it is no matter how they have to do it. So uh, I do think Minnesota gives them a game uh, simply because it feels like Zimmer might be on the hot seat. Uh, he might have just signed an extension, but it can't get much uglier. He did. Uh, so yeah, again, I, don't, I don't, yeah, I don't see them. Oh. I, I, don't, I don't know if I'd say he's on the hot seat right now, but that could change. Right. So uh, again, Tennessee wins this game, but uh, I do think Minnesota at least shows up this time. Uh, and Kirk Cousins actually shows up a little bit. But, oh, if, uh, if Minnesota wins this game, it'd be a big win for them. I mean, yeah, cool. you know, um, Tennessee's not the Patriots circa 2016, but right. they're still a good football team. So, uh, again, I was high on Minnesota to start the year. I have quickly faded off of that. But 
I think it's a game, but I do like Tennessee there, though. You do like you do tend to fade pretty quick. I mean, you're you're you're, you're, you're honestly Stone, you're you're a front runner. I mean, let's call for what it is. I fold like a cheap tent, man. Although I will tell you this, your your Pittsburgh prediction so far looks pretty good. Man, they they look unbelievable. I know we'll get to them, but holy crap, yeah. that's defense. good. Good for you. I mean, I will admit, a couple of weeks ago when you were when you were lauding them, I thought you know, I thought you were um you know. Sipping on some Jameson and ginger there, but um, I think we're onto something. Okay. Uh, all right, next we got the 49ers or whatever's left of them. Uh, yeah. They're staying in New York. They're actually in West Virginia for the week practicing so that they can go back to MetLife Stadium and play the Giants this week. But they're at the Giants. They're favored by four and a half. I mean, right now they're the San Francisco 29ers because they're half of what they used to be. But the Giants are going to be playing without Saquon Barkley. Obviously, it was announced today that he's done for the year with a torn ACL. Um, who do you like in this one, San Francisco or the Giants? So it feels like it should be one of those ugly you know, Thursday night games. But uh, I'm going to take San Fran here. Uh, it's the lesser of two windows, I guess. Uh, I can't bring myself to root for the Giants. But, uh, man, both those teams are banged up, and it is going to be ugly. But give me San Fran. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think the Giants are such a funny team. I mean, when you look at them, they've got some talent. Daniel Jones, I think, has the potential to be a good starting quarterback in the NFL. you got Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, Evan Ingram. But Saquon Barkley is a top five back in the league. And without him, you're running your entire offense through him, in essence. Uh, th th they have no chance now to be competitive. They're going to be playing for a could potentially be playing for a top three pick. That offensive line is a mess. Dave Gettleman prides himself on winning up front. He hasn't built a very good offensive line there, and it shows. Um, but give me San Francisco here. Even though they're beat up and they're going to be missing a lot of their guys, they're going to have the coaching advantage. I'll take Kyle Shanahan over Joe Judge any day of the week. And I still think they'll find a way to, to score points. All right, next, uh, Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals at 0-2 travel to Philadelphia to battle the surprisingly 0-2 Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles are favored by 6.5. I'm going to take the Eagles in this one. Now, I admittedly am a Doug Peterson fan. Uh, I, I know that a lot of people around here don't want to hear that because of the Super Bowl loss to Philadelphia, but I think he's a terrific offensive coach. Carson Wentz has been wildly inconsistent thus far. They've had some injuries along the offensive line. They can't really settle on a back right now. That's a problem for them. They've got a lot of issues. And never mind the fact that their defense has been atrocious. If I'm Jim Schwartz, you want to talk about a hot seat? That seat's starting to get a little toasty there. But despite all that, I like the Eagles this week and this one against Cincinnati. Yeah, I do too. And the thing is, that Cincinnati team is not going to be bad for very long. Uh, I really like Joe Burrow. He has looked excellent the first two weeks, uh, especially for a kid who didn't have any preseason games. So, uh, that Cincy team is going to be fun to watch all year, but, uh, I, again, same with you. I, I think Philly gets this one. Yeah, we got another question here. Tannehill is playing at a top-five QB level. What has Arthur Smith, who's uh, the Titans' offensive coordinator, done differently to get this out of him? I think it's he simplified the game for him. I think he's getting the ball out of his hand quicker, helps having Derrick Henry behind him. I think they're moving the pocket for him more. I think it's more off play action and naked bootlegs. He's a pretty good athlete. Remember, this guy's a former receiver. So I think they've simplified the game for him, and that's why they've gotten more out of him. All right, next, uh, we gotta we got to pick up the pace here, by the way, Stone. Texans at Steelers. The Texans are 0-2. Steelers are 2-0. Pittsburgh is favored by four. Who do you got in that one? You know, Pittsburgh, man, they, uh, they, they, look, they look as good as I thought they would. And uh, I thought I saw something today as well. Their defense has blitzed the most in the league. 
uh, so far this year. So uh, they look as about as good as anyone in the league right now. Yeah, do me a favor. Stop wrestling your notebook. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, I know that you're. Uh, I know that you're, you you love Pittsburgh and and you're jocking them pretty hard. I, I'm going to go with Pittsburgh too. The te- the Texans to me, I think when you look at them, I mean you trade DeAndre Hopkins. You reshape the roster there. I like what they did, but they're kind of listless right now. They don't really have a direction on either side of the ball. And Bill O'Brien better be careful. He's got full control here, but full control also could lead you to end up out out the door if if they don't turn things around. I don't think they're going to do it this week. Four is a nice manageable number to play Pittsburgh here. I like the Steelers as well. All right, next we got the Jets at 0-2 who are a complete train wreck at Indy 1-1. Colts are favored by 11 that's a big number. Usually numbers like that in the NFL I try to stay away from, but I'm not going to do it this week. Uh, I'm probably going to regret this pick, but I'm going to take Indianapolis to cover that number. Uh, the, the Jets, just to illustrate how bad the Jets are right now, San Francisco had a third and 31 yesterday, mm-hmm. and they were inside the 10, and they ran a eye formation toss, just a traditional eye toss, and Jarek McKinnon went for 55 yards in the first down. If that doesn't encapsulate how much the Jets suck ass right now, I don't know what will. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm taking Indy. Uh, I honestly think both the Jets and Giants are going to be in the hunt for uh, 0-16 this year. It's it's ugly, man. So, yeah, give me Indy. Well, I think they're gonna be both are going to be in the hunt for the number one pick. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see, though. They both have quarterbacks that, that they've cool. invested top ten picks in, in Darnold and Jones. So, um that they'll be in the hunt for the number one pick, but they may be able to, to shop it with Trevor Lawrence, obviously being the uh, the jewel in the crown of next year's draft. All right, the Carolina Panthers, Sands Christian McCaffrey, he suffered an ankle injury yesterday. He's going to be out four to six weeks, traveled to L.A. to battle the Chargers. Carolina's 0-2, Chargers are 1-1. Chargers are favored by seven. Uh, I'm going to take this one to start. I like L.A. in this one. I thought they should have won yesterday. Their defense played fantastic for three quarters. Uh, unfortunately, they couldn't get it done against Mahomes and company in the fourth quarter. Justin Herbert finds out like 10 seconds before kickoff yeah. he's going to start the game, and the kid plays his heart out. And listen, and I'm not saying this because I've been a Justin Herbert fan for the four years he was at Oregon, but you see that there's a lot to like with this kid there. And and I said the same thing about Josh Allen when he came out of Wyoming. If they could figure out their accuracy issues, the athleticism, the size, the plus arm strength, it's all there. They could be – Top 10 quarterbacks in this league for a long time. You saw, you got a taste of that yesterday with Justin Herbert. I like the Chargers in this one. Yeah, I do too. And what's the, the easiest way to, you know, deflate a kid's confidence is tell him that the other guy is still going to be a starter. Uh, I think Anthony Lynn. Yeah, that was a dumb move by Anthony Lynn. I don't know why he's pledging allegiance to Tyrod Taylor. Right. Uh, but yeah, give me the Chargers there. All right. Next, um, Thomas Edward Brady and the Buccaneers travel to Denver to. Uh, to play the depleted Denver Broncos. Denver's 0-2. Of course, they got the news today that star wide receiver Cortland Sutton, he tore his ACL yesterday. Yesterday, by the way, was National Tear Your ACL Day, apparently. He tore his. uh, So he's done for the year. The Broncos are also going to be playing without Drew Locke. They're a mess. I'm going to let you go first on this one. Tampa's favored by six. Yeah, Tampa pretty, you know, I always worry about Denver with him, uh, but not this time. I mean, there's just... Denver just can't really play anybody right now. So, yeah, give me uh, give me Brady and the Bucks. 
Yeah, I, normally I would agree with you, but Denver's so banged up right now. They're the 49ers of the AFC in terms of injuries. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't see how Tampa doesn't not only cover, but I think they win this game by two scores easily and, and pause, maybe even three. Uh, this will be a big confidence booster for, for Brady in that passing game. I think that they'll continue to gain more confidence. I like Tampa on that one. Uh, next, we got Matt Patricia and the Detroit Lions. They traveled to the desert to uh, battle the surprising Arizona Cardinals, who are 2-0. and The Cardinals are only favored by 5.5 in this one. That, that's kind of a small number. What do you like in this one, Stone? Arizona, man, that offense looks really, really good. Uh, I don't know about their defense yet, but um, their offense is going to keep them in every single game this year. Give me the cards. Yeah, I think Matt Patricia's in a world of trouble there, and, and, and the, <laughs> this game's not going to help matters. I like Arizona as well. Kyler Murray is playing at an MVP level right now. DeAndre Hopkins making a world of difference there. But I think the biggest story with them is the play of their defense. Their defense has been very good thus far. They continue to play at this level, and that team stays healthy. They will be a factor in the – NFC, which is a crowded conference right now. Yeah. Uh, next, you have the Dallas Cowboys at one and one coming off that gift win yesterday against Atlanta. It, 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 that game pisses me off because Dallas is your proverbial front runner. If they're all in two, it's that there's panic all over the place down there. Jerry Jones is going to start mouthing off, and all of a sudden, yeah. they're going to implode. Instead, Atlanta says, No, we don't want that to happen to you. We want John to look like a genius because he's been, quote, bullish on you thus far. So, we're going to hand you this one. Um, I'm going to go with Seattle in this one. I think you you got a pretty good glimpse of what the Seattle Seahawks could be. I'm not sure I totally buy them as 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 the predominant favorite to come out of the NFC, but they're certainly going to be there, and they could be there when the dust settles. I think this will be a good game. But I like Seattle to cover at home. They're four-and-a-half-point favorite. Yeah, I like the Seahawks here, too. That's It's a proverbial wet-down game for Dallas. You know, huge win, come back, head out west, and then get smacked by Seattle. Yeah. All right. Finally, the Monday night game next Monday night is going to be a dandy. You got the Kansas City Chiefs at two and zero traveling to Baltimore to battle Lamar Jackson. Lamar, Lamar Jackson, and the Ravens who are two and zero. They've looked really good through two weeks. Uh, Baltimore is favored by three and a half. Who do you got in that one, Stonington? Well, first of all, I can't believe you missed your Green Bay Packers. Uh, I believe they're the Sunday night game. Are they not? Uh, yes, they are. And I did see, I knew we were going to do this because we're going to the Patriots next. We'll do Green Bay after this. Go ahead. Uh, give me Baltimore. That might be uh, as good as the Chiefs and Rams game last year, I believe it was, uh, on Monday Night Football. That game might be incredible this Monday and uh, might be the game of the year. But uh, give me Baltimore, man. They look good. Yeah, give me Baltimore, too. I think this is a statement game for them. I think a lot of people have essentially put the conference on a silver platter and handed it to Kansas City. I think Baltimore – makes a statement with a win here. I, I, this is a team that's on track to once again finish 13-3, and 14-2, maybe even 15-1, and one, dare I say. Yeah. Uh, but but I think this is a game that they need. They need to prove that they're going to be a factor in this conference. I think they do that next Monday night with a win at home against Kansas City. You mentioned we forgot about the Packers at the Saints. Saints are favored by four in that one. I'll go first. Give me the Saints. I mean, look, the Packers – Nice wins against Minnesota and Detroit, but Minnesota and Detroit are also both not very good football teams right now. And this will be a real test for them. And given the, the way their defense is played through two weeks, which is like dog crap, I think they're going to fail this test. I like the Saints at home as a four-point favorite. So I'm actually going to take Green Bay here. Uh, I go back to the whole no fan thing. Aaron Rodgers in that dome. If the fans are there, I think you know the Saints have an easier time. But uh, – that, that Packers offense, they look good right now. So I'm going to take them. Um, 
over the Saints. Yeah, well, it depends if De- Devontae Adams plays, too. He tweaked yeah. his hammy yesterday, so that'll be worth watching. I mean, yeah. Alan Lazard and, uh, and and Valdez Scantling have, have had nice starts to their seasons, as have Robert Tanya in the tight end. But, again, Adams is the straw that stirs the drink there, and that's the connection that's going to help the Packers score points and win games. It's all about Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, and Devontae Adams. If for whatever reason, Adams can't go. That's a big loss for them. And finally, uh, Patriots host the Raiders at Gillette, the Reza, um, on Sunday. Patriots are favored by six. I'll take this one to start. I like the Patriots in this one. I like them as a home favorite. I think they cover. I think this will be a more competitive game than you think in terms of a score. I predicted 24-17 last night. I'm going to stick with that number this week. I like the Patriots covering and winning by a score of 24-17. Yeah, I'm going to take the pads here. It's funny you mentioned last night. Last week I had picked Seattle, but um, once the James you know, the the white news hit, uh, I kind of thought they might rally around them and uh, kind of have one of those stories where uh, they they have a close win. But uh, this week it's just again we talked about it earlier. I just don't see um, them losing to Vegas, especially after that kind of loss. Um, this is usually a bounce back game for them. So uh, I like the Pats like I don't know thirty one seventeen ish maybe. Um, okay. Yeah, it's um, a fair number. Yeah. All right, finally, real quick, because we're we're super way over here, Stone. We got to do a better job at this, particularly me. This is my fault. I was just say you're right. It's because I love to babble about football, but we had great participation tonight. So we had a bunch of questions come in. So that was awesome. We want to thank you guys for interacting with us. By the way, we'll do this thing all night if it means we're answering your questions and and talking football with you guys and going back and forth. So thank you again for the questions. My DFS play of the week to wrap this puppy up is Jack McKinnon against the Giants. He is the guy there again, thanks to the injuries to Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman. So I'm going with McKinnon. Who do you got for your DFS play of the week? I'm going to go with Matt Gusecki this week. Uh, I don't know if you saw Oh, Mike Gusecki, the tight end from the Dolphins. Yes. Um, yeah. What did I say? You said Matt. Oh, so yeah. Isn't it Matt? No, it's Mike. Oh, I'm an idiot. Yeah, I'm an idiot. Uh, but yes. Uh, he's been phenomenal. It, not me. It is what it is. Uh, he's been really good for them. Uh, I don't know if you saw the one-handed grab he had. Yeah, yes. he's ridiculous. His catch rate is ridiculous. Former basketball player. Yeah, he's a great athlete. So uh, I don't. I mean, I don't know what he's really going to mean for Miami this year, but uh, he's a great weapon for them. So I like him this week. He's a guy that you should also pick up in weekly fantasy if you're looking yeah. for a second tight end, maybe a guy you can use as a flex as, as we start to get into the season now and bye weeks start kicking in. He might be a guy worth picking up. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Um, as always, you can find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find my partner, Kevin, at KStone06. You can find me at new, at new FTBJ. Try saying that backwards 10 times. For Kevin Stone, I'm John Serenitas. Until next week, peace. See ya.